bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mess in Progress with myself, Gina Brion, and my lovely co-host slash everything person, Catherine G. Mendoza. Catherine, say hi to the people. Hi to the people. Oh, I'm having a wonderful mommy day. I am obsessed with my son. I love him to pieces. He is the cutest thing in the world. I, I'm <laughs> obsessed with him. I am obsessed. I can't stop looking at him when he sleeps. It's creepy. I love him. <laughs> I would hope that you would be obsessed with your son, honestly. Like, imagine you weren't, though. Like, is that a thing? <laughs> I was like, mm, what's the return policy on these? Can I get an Asian one? I really always wanted to try one. Like, like you, we, you imagine a parent was like, I want a trial period. Six yeah. months. Six months if I Everything. don't like it. That's actually, I started to write a bit about how people should have a trial period, but they should like have to like, not with a baby, but they should have to like, you know how when you uh, audit a class in college, like you should have to audit a family where you sit with them and they have a newborn baby and you have to see if you can, if you can handle it. Like you have to take care of the baby. For oh, before way. having a baby? Exactly before having a baby because so many people are unprepared for parenthood myself included that I'm like y'all just let me leave the hospital with a baby like I knew what y'all just let me go like you just you were like here's a baby go ahead bye-bye so like wife swap but mommy swap mommy swap in a a sense with with somebody who's like thinking about starting a family and then they get like 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 um what do they call exchange students (laughs) Yeah, like, they get exchange parents. These are your exchange parents. Your parents yeah. will still be around because we don't want to get sued by anybody. But your exchange parents will be running the show. <laughs> and you see if they can hack it because it's, I think the whole idea came about because I realized like my, my brother-in-law has two adopted children. Um, and the adoption process is insane, especially because they're from another country. You know, it's an insane process. And I'm like, why is it then so much easier to just, have a baby <laughs> like it's Pop like one out yeah just like it should be equally as difficult to just to have children in any way there should be a test there should be paperwork it should be serious business it's so interesting because you're talking about a version of regulation right yep. like um in what country is it uh that you can only have two children i think is it wait no as i was gonna say is it china i felt like it is china but you know what Anybody listen to this? Correct us. Go yes, on Google social. it. Let us know. We uh, we were not prepared for what yeah. country it was. <laughs> but yes, I understand what you're saying. It is an interesting conversation because I'm not... I actually, oddly enough, had this conversation the other day about, um, you know, we're living in a time where we're arguing Roe versus Wade on Facebook with family members. It's that. This but is why I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore, y'all. <laughs> um, but I... I have I have a problem with regulating people's bodies, but I don't necessarily have an issue with the idea of um, the responsibility of a, being a parent and are you and the preparedness because of the importance of the kind of people we bring up in this world. Exactly. So I don't know what that would look like, but I hear you. Yeah, like I don't know what it would look like, but I'm like, it, how many people have you spoken to? like of, of, you know, your age and your age group and your generation that have had really messed up parents that have either disowned them or been emotionally unavailable or in one way or another, just did not really care for and nurture them. 
Now, yeah. had there been a test, we would have known that already. And like, mm-hmm. had they had like psychological testing, like I remember when I don't, I donated eggs years ago. And when, yes. you, when you donate eggs, they, you have to go through a psych evaluation. Right. And so right. it's like, but, but why don't you have to do the same if you want to become parents? And it's because be- it can happen by mistake. It can be a thing where it's like, oh, well, I got pregnant. I wasn't planning on getting pregnant. I got pregnant on the pill. Insane. And I still think there should have been yeah. like a questionnaire or something. Maybe we need to work on birth control first. Yeah, we need to work <laughs> on sex education and yes. that being something that yes. I think that was the ultimate in my um if if any if, if anybody is a friend with me on Facebook, there's an extensive I became a lawyer in this conversation with um it's my niece's husband. He wrote on a post that I had um put it was something like um if okay, so why don't we regulate men's bodies since vasectomies are reversible um, uh, and then make sure that when they're ready to have kids, they are prepared for it. And then the, the punchline was, um, oh, did it just make you uncomfortable, the idea of regulating a man's body? Then mind your business on a woman's. There was something like that. Yeah, it was yeah, one yeah. of those posts. I post, right? It's just to prove the point of regulating anybody's body is not your business. Yeah. Um, he wanted to go in on abortion and, and have this conversation. Now, if you're going to have this conversation with me, I'm not the type of person who's like, I'm right because I'm right. I'm going to inform myself. So I started reading laws. Like I really read all of Roe versus Wade. Like I found the legal document, read the whole thing. And then he gave another argument about like late term abortion. And I read um, the Violence Act, which is an entirely different one. So my point is to be, if you're going to make these arguments, be very informed with them, right? When it comes to regulating and all of that, people have these conversations, but it's just always a flyaway idea, not considering yeah. the fact of like, it's, it's actually <laughs> affecting people. It would, you know, regulating in any, to any degree would affect people's lives. Like there are people who, not everybody who's emotionally unstable or maybe traumatized that grew up in that way, wouldn't be a good parent. Yeah. Or maybe maybe there are parenting classes they can take in order to, you know, be the best parent that yeah, they can 100%. be. Yeah, one hundred percent. If you wanted to be a good parent, like that's that's exactly, in my opinion, how you do it is you prepare as much as you can for being a parent. I mean, yeah. everybody knows. Everybody that's a parent knows. There's no handbook that gives you the magical answer as to what you're going to do in every situation, what you're supposed to do, what's going to be the right decision. What's going to be the right call? Do you overprotect your child? Do you underprotect your child? Like how many things are you going to blame yourself for? Like, you know, and my son, like the first couple of weeks, every time he cried, I would cry because I had no idea what was going on with him and I couldn't fix it. And I already started giving myself the bad mom monologue of like, I'm a terrible mother and he's going to hate me for the rest of my life. I'm crying and it's 4 a.m. and I don't know why. And, and then after a while, you start to learn the patterns and you start to listen better and you start to, you know, figure you oh. figure each other out. He's figuring out how to communicate with me. I'm figuring out how to communicate with him. We're both yeah. trying to figure each other out. I think a lot of times what happens with kids, too, is we forget that they're brand new at every yeah. stage in life. They are brand new. They are brand and, new to puberty. They are brand it, new to college. They are brand even new. Even when they're adults. Yeah. They're brand new to yeah. that situation that you've gone through. Like 100%. I look at, I look at that and I, I think I will always have to remind myself he is brand new to every given situation. So sitting him down when he's in high school and having a rough time and telling him these are the best years of your life. 
He doesn't fucking know that yet. He doesn't understand. No, why. he doesn't. He doesn't understand no. why. He won't be able to look back. And some people do have a shitty high school experience. So it's not fair to say that to everybody. You it's know what not. I mean? You don't know no. what they're going through. Don't pretend to know because times are very different now. It's very interesting because this is a conversation. Um, so I don't know if you've seen this. I, I like caught up on it yesterday. So there's a new Red Table Talk. Um, and it's the Estefan. Oh, it's like a subdivision. Okay. Right. So it's like Gloria Estefan, her daughter, Emily. And then, you know, Lily Estefan, she, um, El Gordo y La Flaca, La Flaca. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, La Flaca, who's um well-known on Univision, is the niece of Gloria Estefan. So the show, the subdivision that the, the Smiths have made is like a red table talk with a Latino family. So the one of the episodes was about Emily Estefan, the daughter, when she came out to be gay. Well, she's actually bi and she doesn't like the label gay. Um, but they had this discussion about how Gloria is a, a gay icon and they had a very interesting relationship when she came out as gay and how, how they didn't want her to talk about it in front of the grandma because she was very conservative, very Cuban, all this stuff. Yeah. My, point here, my point here being, it's even that when you're becoming a parent, you know, like something I've thought to myself is if somebody ever asked me, if I was to have a child, if somebody were to ever ask me, um, what if your child is gay? Okay, that's not a... That's not a question to me. You love your child for your child. I'm sorry, but if you're going to have children and you cannot accept their sexuality, if we know for a fact that that is how you are born, should you be having children? Because in all honesty, that's not okay. It's not yeah. okay to not accept. Like, 100%. If, you, if, you're, if they said, what if your child's a serial killer? Well, that's a little different. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Hold on one second now. Is he trying to serial kill me or am I hiding him from the police? Because yes, maybe, you know, like so some people are born sociopaths, but I I will love him and support him from jail. Yeah. I, I will still love you. I'm not gonna disown you, but I really hope that you don't uh murder anymore. Could you not right. murder? Could we maybe not murder? Right. Um I totally agree with that. I one hundred percent if not I mean, wait, not to equate. No, no, no. We're not equating one with the other. Everybody relax. Don't get those Twitter fingers ready. Don't start cracking them knuckles. (laughs) Nobody's equating anything. It was an extreme example because of the extreme ignorance that is shown in that case. Because to me, like, I can't imagine a reason where I would ever disown my son short of him being part of the Menendez brothers parenting uh, classes. He killed you. Yeah, I I can't (laughs) disown him. I'm dead. Uh, so I guess by default I disown him but I think when it comes down to the sexuality I've always said to myself and even to my husband I'm like you know if if my son came out to me or in any way you know came out in any way whether he was gay or non-binary or whatever whatever he was feeling I would never in a million years turn my back on that child because if anything, the amount of difficulties that he will face, he will need a strong, a strong support system behind him and he will need his family to love him. And so I think what I find, I think what a lot of the times why parents struggle so much is because you have this image of the life you want for your child and anything that's a problem, that image is going to mess your world up, which is what I'm constantly telling my husband is do not put what we want for him on him. 
because he will at some point have to make his own choices. Would I love for my son to be in entertainment? Yeah, sure. If he wants to, if he wants to be a singer, dancer, whatever, but if he wants to be a doctor or if he wants to be, if he wants to own a bookshop somewhere in like the woods, somewhere in a general store, whatever, I don't care. As long as he is happy. That's my main concern is does he feel loved? Is he happy? And is he safe? Those are my three concerns. Those are my only three concerns. Those will stay my only three concerns. I'm not going to force him in one direction or the other, but you start to plan out your kid's life to sometimes to fill the holes that are in your life. Yep. Yep. And that's a big issue. The thing becomes um, parents do not have the right to determine their child's purpose. Yep. Simple as that. Parents like you, we as individuals know our purpose, whether that is as children of people, whether that is as men and women, non-binary, whomever you are, as human beings, we determine our purpose. That is our, when pe- to me, when people go, what is this all about? Why do we exist? We exist to find what our purpose is. And purpose isn't always attached to career. Purpose isn't always attached to the idea of what people think is success. Success is defined by you. But your parents does not have the right to determine what your purpose is. So as Gina was saying, when they're projecting this stuff, nine out of 10 times, they usually are assuming that it's for the best. They want the best. You know, their intentions may be well, but they don't have, like, I, 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 I really believe this. You don't own your children. They are individuals. And when you, when you realize that, that you have chosen to raise an individual who will eventually live their entire life and will surprise you, will shock you, may do things that like you would never do. You know what I mean? You, that is what our brain doesn't grasp. Our brain doesn't grasp, how did this person that came from me not do what I would do? How are they not like me? And it's like- A lot of that too is we do equate love with ownership to a certain extent. When we look at this child, like I had a baby, I look at him and I'm like, that is my baby. Mine, 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 not, you know, OD stalking my kid, making sure he's safe, <laughs> like up in his computers, up on his messages, making sure he ain't talking to nobody and meeting people from the internet, all that stuff. Like it's hard not to over parent. Yes, but not to like um compare, but yeah. even for myself, I do not have a child, but like um, you know, in my mom's getting old, like now being an elderly and having been responsible for her in many ways, like a caretaker, I almost sometimes feel like a parent. Like this weekend, my mom went to my aunt's house. So she's having sleepover week. And I'm like, yes, time for myself. Cause you know, I'm living with my mom and it's a lot. I'm a grown woman, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, mommy, call me when you get there. When you coming? Like I'm acting like a parent. And the reason is because the love, the fear that I can't, protect you I can't control yep, what's 100%. happening in the world I'm not a parent but guess what I have a love for her the way I assume I would have at 3,000 percent for a child yeah so I'm like I get it 
I, I, I can't relate, but I can imagine. Yeah. It's a difficult thing to relate to without having gone through the whole thing. But the fact that you understand just based off your love for your mom, and that's still a part of that love. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Jaden looks at me sometimes like he's, I'm, I've just made his day by existing in his world. Like he just mm-hmm. looks at me and he's the happiest baby in the world and it melts my heart. But I also think like, okay, what am I going to do when he's a teenager slamming his door in my face and telling me I don't know anything about life because every kid goes through that phase where your parents yeah. know absolutely nothing. Yeah. And that's when it's really going to take self-control not to fall back into old parenting styles of because I told you so, why the hell you ask so many questions, like stuff like that. Like we have yeah. to, I have to purposely avoid falling into stuff that I saw growing up and stuff that I experienced from some of my relatives growing up, you know, yeah. and I have no. to be very, very cautious and very careful and not have the same fear. And I think I've noticed this with a lot of like, Latino families have that same fear of correcting a relative because they mm-hmm. came out, they faced, so they came out, they stepped over the line. Because a lot of times we'd be like, oh, well, you know, your tia's just playing with you or blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, 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 that person just crossed the line. And yeah. you should have checked them as my parent. You should have yes. checked them. And yes. the fact well, that you didn't is wild. That goes into this idea. Uh, maybe we can explore this in another episode. To be continued. Keep listening. To be continued. Da, da, da. But, but um, I feel like um, I always tell my mother, she has her family that she came from and the family that she made. And I tell her, we are not the same. Right? We have similarities, but we are not the same. My mother created a world with me and my sisters. Now, she happens to be a single mother, but it doesn't matter. You could have a partner, you create a world. And then there's the world she came from. And I tell her, every value that you taught us, if it doesn't align with what you were taught, we're innately going to be different. And you are the connecting factor that needs to check stuff. Because if you don't check it, I'm going to have to check it. Or one of us on the other side is going to have to check it. And now we got a problem. Because that's also how Latino families work, where if a young one has to say it, you disrespectful, all this stuff. That's what people don't understand, that family tree. um, We all are one family, but they all work with different rules and different like uh, uh, norms. So it's that. It's knowing when you are the connecting factor and when you need to be the one who speaks up. So we yep. can go into that in another episode. We will, guys. Yes. <laughs> we will have our, our episode ready. Yes. But um, so I wanted to tell you something that's really yes. random. Okay. Okay. So I'm a single woman. I know this. You know, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm aware. I'm, I'm like, I'm three years single. I'm not like six months single. You're like I'm like MVP single. You, you. Yes. No, 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 no. I'm, like, I'm like a junior, you know, like junior in high school, junior in college. I'm a junior you're type junior of single. single. So you do status single. I'm not a full senior, but I'm not a freshman either. No. Um, I've enjoyed my singledom and I, I think you enjoy it more the longer you are comfortable in it. I'm not desperate for a relationship. Um, but there are moments where, uh, me as a um, straight woman mm-hmm. who, who likes men, there are things about men that just are attractive to me. Smells, touch, that kind of stuff. So the other day, 
I bought myself a bottle of, bur- of bullet bourbon. Uh, you know me, I'm a bourbon made, person. Made out with the bottle. No. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes, I made out with the bottle. Um, so I bought up a, a, a bottle of bullet. Now, usually I, I enjoy bourbon. Um, that's my type of whiskey. Um, usually I actually will um, fancy a maker's, which is where I've always lived. Yeah. But I bought bullet. I've always enjoyed it, but I've been buying it a little bit more. And I bought Jeremy's a bottle a of, fan of bullet bourbon. It's amazing. Yeah. Here's the thing. The other day, I'm I'm sitting, I'm sipping on it, watching a horror movie. It's spooky season, and I put it like because I have one of those um memory foam mattresses. So you you know how like the memory foams you can jump and the the glass doesn't move. So I put it for like a second, a second, and when I picked it up, a little bit like a little sip. Um, fell onto like the sheet because I was I was sipping in bed because again I'm a single woman who's gonna tell me what to do nobody that is both inspiring and a little sad at the same time it is it is this is quarantine this is COVID nineteen this is single woman <laughs> this is all of that so a little bit falls on my on my sheet right but it's so tiny that I'm not like I gotta change the whole sheet but I do um spray it with a uh, shout. Because okay. I don't like stains. And I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. I eventually changed the sheet because of this. I am sitting there. And within the hour, I start smelling something. And I'm like, the drink is done. I've taken the cup away. It's there's, What am I smelling? It smells like a grown man. I'm smelling the bullet bourbon on the sheet. And it smelled like a grown, delicious man. What? First of all, what kind of alky hobo dudes are coming to your place smelling okay, like Okay, first off, first, no hobos is buying bullets. Because I gave a hobo $20 one time, so that hobo definitely could have got at least a little shot glass of bullet bourbon. Well, then that's a classy, that's a classy hobo. That's a classy hobo. <laughs> at least he was classy. At least well, he was classy. My, my point here isn't about his economic status. <laughs> my point here is about his class. It's and his bad. taste. He got taste. He got right? taste. He got that good bourbon taste. But here's the thing. I didn't realize, with, well, bourbon in, in particular, in this specific one, smelled, like just the smell, was intoxicating, like a cologne. It it was the first time I was like, there's hints of woodsiness. And I got it. I understood why people say stuff like that because I was like, I'm smelling a grown man and I do not like the feelings that I'm getting. So I, I think it was like sheet. hours later, you're just, you've lit candles now and you're just whispering stuff to your bed. To my like, sheet. Nobody like, has to know. How you doing though? How you doing? Was it a good day? You know, I came over to tell you that you smell really good. Um, smell delicious. There's hints of woodsiness in that hints of woodsiness. Um, and I like the woods, you know what I'm saying? If you want to make it into this forest, yo, I really freaking went in. Um, yo, I de- I dead had to like take the sheet. And like at that point, like I said, it was such a small thing. I don't know if you've ever like built a little something that you're like, let it dry. It's not that big. No, I have to change the sheet mostly because I was like, Dude, these sheets could get I'm alone. it. Yeah, I'm alone. Like, damn, yo estoy sola. I'm single because <laughs> I'm single. And these these sheets smelling like my next man. Oh, uh, but let me tell you, here's the funny thing. So the next morning, I tell the story to my mother, also a single woman, and she tells me, um, so as I said, I bought that little bottle, and I'm not a stingy person. I, it was for the house. 
customers for the house. So I left it outside. My mom made herself a hari sari. She made herself some tea and then put it into the tea. Hold on. She goes, when I was washing the dish, like the, the, the teacup, the aroma, I was like, you, right? She, I was like, ma, it smells like a grown man. She said, I didn't think about it. No, but this that was is what it is. A haunted bottle of bullet bourbon. <laughs> and there was a spirit of some Bajapanti that lived in that bullet bourbon. And now that spirit has been released in your house. You need some sage. <laughs> what else can get rid of a Bajapanti? Mira. You need if, some sage. If, if I have a Bajapanti spirit, in my house i don't stage him out he just needs to not bother me when i'm working yeah but like if he want to come play with my hair in the middle of the night you like, know what i mean like fluff up your pillow you know do what you gotta do by hop on the ghost but that is, how you, that is how you know you're single because i don't know if you remember this but i told you a long time ago i use men's deodorant because i think it works better than women's deodorant and it's cheaper it's really sexist that you think the men's deodorant works better than it does it does i do agree with you though sorry sorry ladies deodorant but no i i just think like chemically there's this assumption that like women do not cannot be pungent right do not sweat as much which by the way i used to work out with a chick who used to sweat so much there'd be pools of it where she used where she was just standing it was gross right so I used the men's deodorant and I remember um, when I first started using it, the first time I smelled myself and I smelled like a delicious man. It was like, I felt constantly like there was no, a man near me. I wonder if there's lonely dudes that do the opposite. Like is some guy out there using secret because he wants to smell a chick on him? You, you, your own boyfriend, you, your own girlfriend, exactly. you, your own partner. You, if you've if never you, thought about that gentleman do it anybody anybody anybody. whatever smell you're attracted to sometimes you need to that helps you you just be like damn i I love me and sometimes i just needed that extra and i smelled it and i'm like is that me it is me but it's not like it could be somebody else yes and you're like is it me you're just circling yourself like a dog chasing its tail is it me (laughs) is somebody interested in me what is that i used to take jeremy's cologne I still do actually. Whenever I go on the road, I take Jeremy's cologne with me and I spray mm-hmm. it on the bed, on my on my hotel bed. Uh, so, so that you bullet bourbon your bed. I bullet bourbon myself. I'll be like, ooh, <laughs> these sheets could get it. I treat them sheets like my husband. <laughs> them sheets could get these cheeks. <laughs> but it also made me think um, Bullet needs to come out with a brand of cologne. Yes. Listen up, bullet bourbon people. Cut the check and we will help you with this. <laughs> cut the check, yo. Cut, cut the, the check, check because I'll be the first one to make a commercial being yeah. like, yo, fellas. fellas. Put this on. And that's the commercial. The commercial is just fellas. use the camera. Fellas. Just put this on. Like, you know, you know, actors like they like to use sexualization. Yeah. No, this would be like an insider from a girl who's like, fellas, if you smell like this, it's on. Yeah. It's, it's on. on me and you. Um, you. All you gotta do is smell like this. Just buy this. Just buy it. Just buy it. <laughs> that would be the whole commercial. Just buy it. Just buy it. Trust me. If I saw a commercial like that, I would straight up go and buy that product. I'd be like, yo, <laughs> just buy it, yo. She said, just buy it. Yeah. She didn't try to make it fancy. She wasn't half naked. She was in a bata. She said, just buy it. You wanna know why it would work? Because Nike, just do it. Yes. We know that works. Just do it. Just buy it. 
Why is that not everybody's slogan? You'll just buy it. You'll just buy it, son. Peter Brion on Amazon. Just buy it. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That that was a good way to self-plug. Right? (laughs) Self-plug, shameless plug. So, um... Moving into our what's good was what's good. Good. Like, good. Good. Um, good. good. I have a question. Yes, yes. So do we have the right to critique what we don't understand? And there's a there's a follow-up. Mm-hmm. Even once we understand it, can we critique it even if we'll never be able to relate? Um, very interesting. Um if you, I personally, if you don't understand something, no, I don't think you should ever critique it. You don't have knowledge of the subject. It just always comes across whenever somebody does that, whenever somebody tries to critique something they really don't know anything about, um, it comes across as wildly egotistical and arrogant. Whereas I think they think it comes across as intellectual. And I'm like, no, no, you don't, it doesn't make you look smarter. You actually sound really stupid because you don't know what you're talking about and you're giving some sort of critique as if you could, you know, even if it comes down to comedy, when people critique comedy too, it's like, unless, first of all, I don't care about your comedy opinion, unless you're literally an insider in comedy. Like I literally do not care. I remember one time I was on a cruise ship and um, I think I've told this story before. I was getting on an elevator and this guy had just seen my act and he was a passenger on the cruise ship. And he said, hey, can I give you a piece of advice? And I went, no just as the doors closed. I was like, absolutely. No, you cannot, <laughs> sir, wearing a Hawaiian shirt and on vacation. I don't want to hear your advice. <laughs> now, if Chris Rock were to go, hey, can I give you some advice? I'd go, oh, absolutely, sir. What yeah. is it? Yeah, I would listen immediately, you know? And even if, and like you said, even if you do understand it, um, if you do have a light understanding, then your critique has to be as light as your understanding. You cannot mm. go in on something as if you are an expert when you have just surface level knowledge of something. You know what I mean? Because even comedy audiences that understand comedy, when they try to critique it, often don't know the ins and outs of the business enough. Case in point, Eddie Izzard had somebody come after him once for like, um, I think it was like repeating material or something, but it was like a special that had just dropped and he happened to be touring with that special still while building up new material. So it was like, why why are you coming at him it was like a story i've heard lord knows if it's if it's even true but it's happened to other comics too where you you know you'll watch your favorite comic bomb on stage and then you'll think like oh well that's because this this and this it's like no it's because the numbers game i've bombed everybody's bombed it's gonna happen at some point so i think if you are going to critique it if you have a limited knowledge of it then your critique should be super light Mm, i agree i agree um, so yeah, th- I mean, I, what I, for me, this was a very general question, right? Like mm. I felt like, um, this can be applied to almost anything, yep. whether it's profession, interest, um, race, sexuality, anything. Um, I feel like agreed. You do not have like, and I, for me, it's the right. Mm-hmm. I think as people, we ask ourselves, what do we have the right to do? Yeah. I mean, you have the free will to do whatever the hell you want to do. So if you if you think free will and right are the same thing, then you're going to critique it regardless. But you, do, to me, you do not have the right to critique something you do not understand because understanding is a choice. We 
make the choice to understand other people, understand other situations, understand other perspectives, right? Yeah. And so if, if we make the choice to understand someone, we're actually probably less inclined to critique it. We might question, we might inquire, but critique is a different thing, right? And that, that's why um, constructive criticism is a thing, right? Because if, if Chris Rock is coming to you, I mean, don't get me wrong, Chris Rock, anybody could come to you with arrogance and still try to give you a yeah, critique. Yeah. But I would hope that because of his profession, because of his expertise, it's a, it's a, um, you're saying yes because it's a constructive criticism yeah. approach. But a critique is a very different thing. And yeah. I feel like for me, I don't critique things that I understand. I inquire further. Now, if I do understand it, I've taken the time to inquire. I've taken the time to learn about it. And I cannot relate. So relating could be like, um, I am not a black person. I cannot relate. Mm -hmm. I can I can empathize. I can sympathize. I can understand. I cannot relate because it's not my lived experience. Same thing with the conversation earlier about abortion. The yep. person I was talking to was a gentleman. You will never experience menstruation. You will yep. never experience womanhood. Well, him, a cis man, right? Like it's a very, you just, you don't, you don't relate. You'll never mm -hmm. relate. But you have a quicker critique than you do the want to understand it. And even when you understand it, you still want to critique it. So then, honey, you don't really want to understand it. You just want to have a say. Yeah. And so there's where I, I say you don't have the right. Yeah. I mean, I think using the term the right, it's also, do you have the right? Yeah, maybe legally. Should you? No, stupid. You sound right. like an idiot when you critique something that you don't understand. You sound dumb. You sound like one of those people that just loves to hear themselves talk. And then, and we've all been in conversations with those people where it's like, do you even know this for a fact? Do you know any of this for a fact? Or are you just throwing out stuff and like hoping other people think that you're smart enough not to Google or not to find out or not to research? If you're going right. to criticize something, the truth is, if you're going to criticize something, you should have such a deep seated knowledge of the thing you are criticizing that you have enough behind you, enough experience to criticize. Because if you don't, then your criticism really means nothing, which is why when it comes to like, criticism or harsh judgments from people online it it baffles me that these people think that you know and, and so many people give them power like you really shouldn't give a shit they don't yeah. these aren't experts these are people critiquing you that have no idea what they're talking about that's why there's such a big importance and i emphasize the importance of nuance and content right if you do not understand if you if you as a, someone online see someone's critique but you don't, un you you aren't sure if they have the they have an understanding of the nuance of what they're critiquing and the context of what they're critiquing. Then you should question their right to critique it or why they're critiquing it. You shouldn't take it for what it is. You should you should inform yourself, which is why I said we were talking about abortion on my Facebook thread, and I went into full. I need to go into the law because I even I can talk as a woman, right, yeah. in comparison to this person. But you know what I can't talk as? I can't talk as someone who um, has been pregnant because I haven't. I can't talk as somebody who's had an abortion because I haven't. And I can't talk as somebody who understands the law because I didn't understand it. So I educated myself. And I made sure that my arguments, right, and my critique of whatever this conversation was, was at least informed with the information that is actually being legally yeah. disputed. Because that's what it really comes down to. What, what ends up being... Um, 
our rights, right? Yeah. Like our 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 uh, our legal rights. So, um, yeah, I think we're kind of like on the same page on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, totally, one hundred percent on the same page. I agree with you one hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because it makes me think of um something that I saw online and something that I've heard of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a critique, and it's not a wrong critique. It's actually a it, it's it's a correction. That's the word. It is a correction, okay. not a critique. And it is a correct correction. <laughs> it is accurate. Cool correction. Yeah, it's a correct correction. Um, today in correct correction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen a few people talk about the usage of the word Spanish, mm-hmm. right? As identifiers for Latinos. Um, and how incorrect it is to call a Latino Hold on, because I lost your audio. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, technical difficulties via Zoom. This is is my announcer voice for whenever there's an issue. (laughs) There you go. You're back now. Perfect. Um, So, yes, I have seen online a Mm -hmm. few people, um, especially um, other Latinos, Latinx, um, critiquing the usage of the word Spanish and calling yeah. people Spanish um, instead of Latino. Yeah. Now, to start, to, for starters, it is it needs to be understood that when this critique is said, mm-hmm. they're not wrong. It's a correct critique because they are correcting people on the usage of the word Spanish and the understanding of what calling someone Spanish means. It's not an insult. It's just inaccuracy. So it made me question, did you grow up as a New Yorker calling yourself um, Latino, Hispanic, or Spanish, right? And Uh how do you feel about the usage of the word or why people are angered? Mm. Well, for me, I grew up identifying and saying Latina, that I'm Latina. I grew up with that. Um, Puerto Rico falls under that umbrella of Latin American countries by by the Census Bureau. But a lot of people don't even like being called Latino, Latina. A lot of people are going Latinx now. I never, the only word that I ever had an issue with or not even had an issue with personally, but I was told not to use was Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And it was literally on some militant like I, I had one of those people in my schools that was like, don't say Hispanic because that means you his panic. You're not his panic. And they were talking about like white people. I swear to you, this is not even a lie. I swear to you, I had somebody in my high school who was legit like that, militant about it. I was like, we not his panic. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, wow. so just never, never use that word. You could have just left it at that. Um, and Spanish, I always associate with being from Spain. So I'm not from Spain. So I am not Spanish. Like just the the just the logic of it was was I don't say I'm Spanish I say I'm Latina. Okay, yeah. See, I mean that's very different than me growing up, right? Like for and this is just I think there are people with experiences that I have. Um, some people do grow up, especially in New York City, calling themselves Spanish. Now I grew up in two different ways. In my house, I knew I was Ecuadorian because my mom. We're Ecuadorian. Now, mind you, until I was about four, I thought it was Puerto Rican, but she knocked the sense in me. 
But I just assumed everybody in What's the block was Puerto wrong Rican. Was, with being Puerto Rican, though. No, and she was just annoyed because I was so confident in being like, because I associated the fact that since everybody spoke Spanish, then if everybody on the block is Puerto Rican, we must be Puerto Rican. And my mom was like, Ecuador is a different place. It's a whole, you know, she schooled yeah, me. Yeah, she schooled so you on I, that. She, she had to school me. I was little, but she had to school me because I, you know, I needed to know where she actually came from. Yeah. Um, so I grew up knowing that I was Ecuadorian, but in the street, in school, and all of that, I grew up saying Spanish and Hispanic. Mm. Now, the reason for that is in school, of course, teachers were calling us the, you know, whenever Hispanic, I mean, whenever um, things were mentioned, ethnicities or racial, yeah. it would be, oh, the, um, the Hispanic population. That was very much being taught and said in the 90s, yeah. right? Um, and they were using the word Hispanic because Hispanic is to describe anybody of a Spanish speaking country. And so technically they weren't inaccurate because they were talking about Spanish speaking countries. They weren't considering Brazil because they don't speak Spanish, right? But in the street, like on the block or whatever, yeah, I said the word Spanish. I called myself, yeah, I'm Spanish. Now, why was because, when I look back at it, I didn't think about this at the time, yeah. was because I grew up in a community that was a hodgepodge of people. And so whether it was not just Latino people, and again, different types of Latino people, there was a lot of mostly Puerto Ricans, but there was also black people and there was Italians and yeah. Polish people. That's the neighborhood I grew up in, um, Asian people. I honestly, looking back, realized that in the hood that I grew up in, and I think a lot of hoods in New York City, the way black people identified Latinos was by calling them Spanish. Therefore, oh, I think yes. white people did the same. Asian people did it, it because again, just like the word Hispanic, they were just going off the fact that, oh, oh, oh. So what all y'all got in common is the language. So you Spanish them. They didn't yeah. even know the context of that Spanish yeah. means Spain, yeah. right? So you grow up calling people that. You grow up calling yourself that because you, for me, I come from, an inner city, right? A borough that was that wasn't privy to the like intellectual context of Latino and what it means and all that. I didn't get that until college. Yeah. Right. And not everybody has that privilege of going to college. So that's why there are still people to this day using that word, using Spanish. They don't mean no harm. Yeah. If anything, it is a it's it's an exchange of camaraderie. If anything, right? Yeah. I I think, um, and and we we talked about this before. Um, I think it's similar to the usage in New York City because I'm only going to tackle New York City and hoods in New York City yeah. to the usage of the N word, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of critique on people who are not black using the N word, and so yeah. I'm not here to say that it is okay for anybody who isn't black to use the N word. I'm here to say. When you look back historically, especially with the New York City where hip hop culture was created and hip hop yeah. culture was not only created with the black community, it was also with the Latino community, which has a lot of black people in it, yeah. right? There was the camaraderie of language. New Yorkers care about one thing. Do I mess with you? Do yeah. I fuck with you? If I don't fuck with you, then it doesn't matter what you are. But yeah. if I mess with you, we have an exchange of language. I feel like 
Latino people, first off, didn't even know the difference between Spanish and all, you know, at those times and at, that, yeah. at those ages, educational, educationally. Um, so they didn't have a problem being called Spanish, just the same way that in return, a lot of the Latino and Asian and even hood white kids in the hood got to use the N-word. I'm not saying it's okay now that we know better, yeah. now that we have information. I'm saying that's where it comes from. Yeah, I'm saying recognize that people, you're right. There is a shared language between people in, especially, and, and again, in hoods in New York City, there is a shared language, a shared dialogue of people that mess with each other, that are like family out in the streets. And right. it's almost like a coming together of an entire community of people that are usually in the struggle. If you're in the hood, like you're usually in the struggle. So y'all are in the struggle together. And a right. lot of people don't realize that language plays a big part of that. It's why yeah. when you send, you know, not to get too much into this, but it's why when you send cops to neighborhoods that they don't know or to hoods they don't know, they end up getting in trouble because they don't speak that language. They don't speak to the people the way the people are used to being spoken to. Right. They don't know to do that. And, and they don't know the regulations of, the, of that neighborhood. They do not. Yeah, they don't know. They don't know you don't disrespect Mama Rosa's bodega. They don't know any of the stuff that the insiders know in that neighborhood. But uh, at the on the flip side, then comes the question of do they care? Because even once they know, do they care? And that, care. that's the same thing with language to, to, yes. to go into the Spanish thing. It's about understanding. It's about caring, right? So if to use your example, if you're a cop, and you didn't know when you walked into this neighborhood, well, now you know how you're gonna act. Yeah, now that right? you know. How, how are you, what are you gonna do? And are you gonna now, let people tell you how it is or are you gonna be ignorant to it? Like you're not right. even gonna bother to learn it. Like before mm -hmm. people start judging the language that certain people use within a given community, they should understand that community in the first place. Right. And how it works. Like, right. I mean, you you're grew up, I grew up with, people using the n-word all of us all of us in that community because yeah. it was our form of communication to one another and you're right there'll be little white kids that said it too and everybody yeah. knows that one little hood white dude um that was that was hood like that that was down with people like that you know and Eminem so, exists for a reason exactly like, exactly you know, i'm not now to saying all of that i will say this again it was a it's not a false critique it's not wrong to critique yeah. it it's not wrong to educate people to stop saying it yeah i do think that people should um have the information right because i'm not somebody yeah. who's like let me educate you that's not my place but let me share some information with you spanish when you call somebody spanish they are from spain mm -hmm. the actual place spain in on the continent of europe yes and when you call somebody latino they're from latin america which is in on the continent of, of the Americas, right? Yeah. And specifically Latin America, which is Central, South, and then the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. um, Hispanic is Spanish-speaking country, which happened to be Latin America As and well. the Caribbean, yes. but not Brazil and not places like that that speak Portuguese, right? So when you're, yeah, on, a, on an actual um, accurate level, when we want to be technical, you should not call me or Gina Spanish because we are not from Spain. Our family's not from Spain. We are both technically Latin American, Yeah. right? We are both technically, if you want to use the American word Hispanic, we are both technically Hispanic in, yeah. the, in the definition. 
But because we're from New York City, we probably prefer for you to say what, what our actual country is for her Puerto Rican, the Ecuadorian, and then even more so New York City and our borough. That's as yeah. simple as it gets. Even more so, please mention the Bronx whenever you get a chance. <laughs> right. Big up um, Brooklyn whenever you get a chance. There you go. Like that's just that's just what you got to know about New Yorkers in general. Big up the neighborhood too. Right. right. Well, I don't know because I'm from Williamsburg and I rest in peace. Oh, um, dang. But you're from old Williamsburg. You're not from right. new, new Williamsburg. I know, but like, I, I can't even rep New Williamsburg. I'm going to meet a kid 20 years from now who's from New Williamsburg and we're not from the same place. No, I had a, a show in New Bushwick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that was, that, that's for, an, hold that's on, for another on, episode. We're going to go into oof, what has happened to Brooklyn. That'll be the episode. What has <laughs> happened to Brooklyn? What has happened to Brooklyn? Um, But to, to go back to what we were saying about the N-word. Now, I'm going to say something that I personally believe. Um, just because I grew up in a community where that was used as um, as camaraderie, where yeah. language was exchanged to show um, safety, to show community. Yeah. Um, I will say this. No matter what it is that you are tackling, whether it's the word Spanish, whether it's um, the N-word or anything else, once you do have the information, mm-hmm. once you do know what, how it affects people, it is the choice you make to continue using things yeah. and to possibly not unlearn. And that's the harder part, the unlearning, the curve. So you have to decondition yourself from right. the way that you would normally use language. And yes. that is a difficult process, pulling that. I right. mean, any kind of cleansing in a sense or any kind of rebuilding or whatever kind of self-helpy term there is out there that you do for yourself in that situation like that's on you but it's a lot of work deconditioning is a lot of work when we're talking we're talking deep-seated psychological stuff that (laughs) your brain holds on to that you will constantly almost revert back to right and are and question is are you willing to do it i will tell you for me deconditioning is not easy right Deconditioning takes time, which is why I always talk about when we're when we're asking people to change, when we're asking people to understand what is the learning curve, like in a like on a test, you yeah. know, when the class, the learning curve, understand that it takes time. We we are programmed a certain way. But for me, language comes down to how I'm affected. Mm-hmm. Right. So the N-word in particular, this is my only opinion on it. Um, I may understand the reasons why in the neighborhoods that I came from, certain things were with the way they were. But if I am not a part of the community that is affected or offended by the word, it does me no harm to take it out of my language. It will take deconditioning, but it does me no harm to take it out. If I actively choose not to take it out, knowing it can cause other people harm, pain, Mm -hmm. trauma triggers, whatever the case may be, that's also a choice I'm making, but understand you're making that choice selfishly. Yes. So that's how I look at it. I'm just going, I understand where it came from. I do not want to be critiqued for having been raised in a certain neighborhood, but I make choices that after I get information and education, I'm very privileged to have a, a college degree. Um, and I use privilege, meaning just even the ability to, yeah. to, to have that. I, I make sure that if it's not hurting me and it is hurting others, then Catherine don't do it. Point blank. Yeah. That's a, that's the decision I wish everybody made. Like, yes. 
deconditioning is difficult, but so worth it when you're trying to evolve as a person at every mm -hmm. level of evolution uh, of us personally, you do have to decondition a certain level of behavior. You know, yeah. when you want to be more productive, then you have to decondition yourself not to be so, uh, not to procrastinate, not to wake up later. Like you have to push yourself to do these things and it requires change. So if you can- It's what you just that, said about motherhood. Yeah. You're trying to decondition what the norm, because that's that's so. That's a deconditioning. Yes. Like at the end of the day, it's easy to go into what we're first taught. It's so yes. easy. That's default. What, what, what the question is, is does your default harm others? If your default doesn't harm anybody yeah, or offend anybody or make somebody feel some type of way, um, now mind you that that has limits as well. But if your default just kind of like, if your default makes you look stupid, but doesn't harm anybody, that's on you, boo. Yeah. But, you if your de but if your default starts to harm another person, like you said, with parenting, you could harm your son if your comfort level is more important than what he needs. Yeah. Interesting. We're pretty <laughs> brilliant, you guys. I don't know if you guys have noticed. The only critique should be that we're brilliant. Right. That's going to, like, if we ever rebranded, we're not going to be messed in progress. We're going to be called Pretty Brilliant because we're pretty brilliant. and we're brilliant. Get it? It's a play on words. <laughs> I don't know why I went into my white chick's voice there. Like, white chick's probably because I I obsessively was watching clips of it uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, white girls. <laughs> what a great movie. So oh, no. White, girl, white chicks is brilliant. Yes. So much better than I ever thought it was going to be. And then I watch it and I'm just like, this is great. This is a great film. Um, <laughs> okay. We have to actually, we have to talk about some great stuff. Um, some great stuff that we've been watching in another episode because we both watched so many great things. We really should do like a, a review of shows of, of some kind. Guys, um, we hit up Gina, tell them, tell her if you want us to do a yes. show and movie review YouTube where we just sit there and talk and about- Critique stuff we don't know about. Remember what we said before? We do we do that. We just critique. Well, it's movies. So what are we critiquing? We're saying, we're, um, what is it? Uh, Roger and Ebert? Yeah, we're we're Brion and Mendoza. Mendoza. That sounds like a crime fighting duo. We sound like buddy cops. Brion and Mendoza. Rizzoli and Niles. That's yeah. what we sound like. Well, Brion like, and Mendoza. This fall, the, uh, <laughs> two New York City cops, Brion and Mendoza, only on CBS. <laughs> oh my God, CBS. Yes, we are manifesting our own uh, show. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Speaking of different shows, um, there's here's the quote of the day. I have a quote of the day for you. Ba -ba -ba -ba. When you like sound effects, that was my that was my quote of the day. One, I think that's pretty good for a quote. Ba -ba -ba -ba. Quote yeah. of the day. Um, this quote is from the showrunner of Lovecraft Lovecraft County County Country Country. Uh, I can't read today, guys. Uh, you should know this about me. I'm also borderline illiterate. Uh, <laughs> it was on the show's podcast after the season finale. And here's the quote. Hope is a discipline and disparity is a privilege. Thoughts. Ooh, that's mm. so deep. I feel like I should be sipping on some, some tea like an English person. Uh, uh, wait, regular tea or my mommy's, uh, bourbon, mommy's tea. bourbon tea? Your mommy's bourbon tea, son. Always choose <laughs> uh, So, what are your thoughts on this? Because this is a very interesting quote, and I have different feelings about the word "hope." Mm. Uh, after reading the book, uh, 
we're all fucked which is it's a we all fucked a book on hope mm. by um one of my favorite writers who also wrote the book uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck uh, mm. and so the guys uh, which you gifted to me for my birthday i did the colors a great book and and i got to page 15 <laughs> <laughs> she's she's gonna get it she's gonna get it yeah um I, I'm a super book nerd. So whenever I get books like that, I just like, I don't rip through them. I take my time with them. But um, the reason why I bring up that book is because in that book, he describes hope as kind of like, he has such a different view of hope, like that we should have it, yeah, but that it's also pointless. Yeah. Which is, a, mm-hmm. it's just a very interesting thing on hope. Like hope is the thing that keeps us going, which is why we need it. Right. But hope really actually does nothing. So that's, that was his kind of point in the book. So I have a different feeling about that word and that concept now, but mm-hmm. I would agree, however, that hope is a discipline. You do mm-hmm. have to discipline yourself to think positively. You do have to discipline yourself to have a, uh, I guess you could say a positive outlook, not just a positive outlook, but just to have hope to, I hope this works out. I hope that works out. I hope this to not know 100% but still have try to have that faith because that's what it is the difference between like you know when you talk about I don't know how many people are into the secret or into the law of attraction or whatever when you talk about hope and you talk about you know manifesting or creating what you want there is no hope there's just 100 percent which is why when you go into something like the law of attraction you have to 100 percent believe there is no I hope I get it there's I'm going to get it and -hmm. that's the difference in the language that you use and the way that your mind works to you know kind of push that feeling or that energy out there so um it's a very very interesting quote especially the second part of it disparity is a privilege so Catherine thoughts okay so um hope right like um it floats we know this uh, (laughs) hope floats (laughs) um hope in this in the in the way that they're saying it here Mm-hmm. um hope is about belief right hope is and I mean you know I am not a religious person but um that is one of the first school of thought that to some degree was ingrained to some degree and probably not like as um strict but it was in there um so hope is about belief and faith if if one must mm-hmm. um it, it is about it's a it's about uh seeing the brighter side trying to see that there's there's another way that you know there's always a light at the end of the tunnel that's how i look at hope right now hope being a, a discipline i would agree um because it takes a lot for people going through um hard times to keep the faith to stay um, the course, if one must, right? To, to, to remember that tomorrow is a new day. And so it does take a, a, a sense of mental discipline. I think that's what it's talking about, mental discipline, the way that we train our minds, even when our feelings are feeling something else. Our feelings feel the lowest of the low, but we got to remind our mind that there is a, uh, you know, uh, tomorrow is a new day. What, what is uh, the Annie? Tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> like exactly yes that we need to train our mind but the the latter um disparity is a privilege now i do agree mm-hmm. i do agree um i'm gonna use class 
in this an example yes because class is a really good example of how um disparity when you are in a place financially yeah that you feel like you're in a rock and a hard place or not even worse than a rock and a hard place um you are at the depths of despair right but some people who aren't in a, a lower class still have despair and I'm not taking away from pain and sadness and anything like that but yeah. the privilege of their despair is that they do not have to worry about survival right so because they're not worrying about survival the privilege is that they get to sit in the midst of woe is me that's what I think it's saying um, disparity is a privilege. It's when you get to sit in that sadness, in that uncomfortability. It's, it's not critiquing it. It's just saying there is a privilege to then go, but I still have three meals a day. I still have a roof mm -hmm. over my head. Yep. I still have money to spend. So you, you are not even looking at your privileges, at what yep. you have in your advantages, right? But the discipline of hope means that regardless of what your class is, there are hopeless people who are rich, mm -hmm. right? But you can be poor and be hopeful because you are disciplined into the knowing that there is a brighter day, mm -hmm. right? Whatever that means to you. You can be rich and know the same thing. I think it's talking about perspective, the way we choose to look at life. And let me tell you, me, myself, I am... You know, I'm somebody who struggles with um, what I like to consider functional depression. I don't get that deep depression, depressive thoughts, but I have, I, I think I, you know, like a functioning alcoholic, I'm functionally yeah. depressive. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't have down days. It's the same reason that I also have to be sure that if I'm using um, like marijuana, that I know what strains I'm using because it needs 100%. to match with what's happening in my life. 100%. I could go into despair or I can go into hope, but I also got to remember in that despair, girl, do you have a way to feed yourself and clean your butt? Remember what there is to be positive about, this is right? What I, always, I always tell this to my husband, like, you know, especially during the pandemic, everybody has had their moments of panic and everybody has mm -hmm. had their moments of like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And whenever he would start spiraling, I would be like, are we going to be homeless tomorrow? Because we have a roof over our head. We have food in our refrigerator. We're, we have a leg up on a lot of people out there. You know, right. sometimes you have to remind yourself of what to you look like small or insignificant wins in the grand scheme of things, because you're trying to look so far ahead at what you don't have that you can't pay attention to the blessings that you do have. And mm. when you talk about, it's so funny talking about disparity, disparity is a privilege. I think you're absolutely right. Sitting there and thinking about all that you don't have and not concentrating on what you do have. If you have the luxury of being able to do that, or like you'll see a lot of people do this who don't have problems. So they create problems. They create problems out of nothing because it's like, you really don't have a problem. You're really not in trouble you just want there to be a problem for whatever reason, maybe you- maybe Or you like, need. Yeah, maybe you like playing the victim. Maybe you like acting like you solved some big mystery, whatever the case may be, you need there to be an issue there for you yeah. to 
for you to whatever thrive well, feel normal for some people it's their normal right yeah. like traumatized some there's traumatized people who grow up with problems being their norm so when there's like the water is still that's weird for them they need to find yeah. a problem at that point again to go back into it's a privilege you need to recognize that what you need to do is um like work that out unpack it so that you don't create problems that eventually start affecting you um because it's an unconscious thing it's yeah. you are unconsciously creating problems that will then consciously affect you like a hundred percent you there is a privilege to manifest the world that we want to make you mm -hmm. can manifest that in any way well hope can be manifested into something so can despair that's what yep. it is yep it's like that fear you ever had this thing happen to you and this is the best way that i can describe sort of manifestation to people do you ever feel like i'm gonna fall i'm gonna fall i'm gonna fall and then you fall mm -hmm. yeah because mm -hmm. you told yourself you were going to fall that whole entire time i've done yeah. it on bicycles when you first start to learn how to ride a bike on skates and just in life in general i'm gonna fall i'm gonna fall i'm gonna fall and then you fall because you've already prepared yourself for the fall you're like this is inevitable so when you tell yourself that you are you are leading yourself down a path to disparity or to having a bad day or a bad moment 100 i i i think that when it really um like when discussing this type of stuff people you know, there, there's so many ways, just the wording of this quote, hope mm -hmm. is a discipline, disparity is a privilege. Just like, again, uninformed or um, when you don't actually think it out, it's easy to critique that and go, well, how is discipline a privilege? Because I think that's really the critique, right? Discipline a privilege. Um, I'm gonna make a statement that I really have been thinking about a lot lately. Um, Critical thinking is lacking. Hold on. Like, what alarm is that going off? That sounds like a bird. That sounds like it's somebody else's alarm in your building. Right? Is that somebody's? Uh, maybe that is a car next door. Oh, well, it went off. Mm -hmm. So either somebody was murdered or somebody hit the clicker on their car. Oh, no, there it's back again. Somebody's back to getting murdered. There is a Yeah, it does sound like a it does sound like a car. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back after these messages. Fellas, have you ever wondered what tickles a woman's fancy? Well wonder no more. Splash on some bullet bourbon and watch all your fantasies come true. I mean, maybe not fantasies, but you gonna get some. Okay. Well splash on some bourbon and drive the ladies wild. It's not really wild though. It's like cozy and maybe I've been out of commission for a minute. So there's a good chance. Just splash on bourbon. Just buy it. Bourbon. Cause she's been alone for a minute. Okay guys, going into our dear Gina, we have a special guest with us today. My roommate slash slay queen slash amazing human being, Miss Jenna Ortiz uh, is with us to answer this dear Gina. I will go right into it. Uh, dear Gina, how do you maintain your culture when dating slash married interracially or interculturally like American versus Caribbean, for example? Um, great question. Uh, it's so I was asked a similar question 
at the Q&A after my special, uh, The Floor is Lava, now streaming on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Go check that out. I'm really subtle with my promos. Um, uh, and I, I, you know, I will say similarly to what I answered that question too, um, it's really important to be willing to educate your partner on your culture. Be willing to, you know, let them know what are common courtesies in your culture and what aren't, like explaining to them what type of dish to bring for your family, what will be an insult, what wouldn't if you're going to a family gathering. You know, I think there are different ways where you can maintain your culture and still be in an interracial relationship by just one, the two parties have to respect each other's culture equally and understand that there are going to be vast differences in how they were raised and how they're and what their points of view are if they're coming from two completely different backgrounds. So going in with that understanding, being willing to learn and being willing to teach are two big things when you're in an interracial relationship. So interracial or interculturally, I think it's really important, the idea and the concept of growth and learning within a, a unit as a couple. Um, especially when you're trying to maintain culture. So I will kick this over to Jenna, Jenner, the Jenninator, right over here. Um, well, single, but if I was <laughs> in a relationship with um, another ethnicity or anything like that, I just think it's exciting, actually. You get to learn each other's, like, um, traditions and things that they grew up doing that you didn't grow up doing, but then they learn what you grew up doing that they didn't know growing up doing. And I, I just think it's fun to experience and, and find those little things out as you are in the relationship. It just keeps it spicy and exciting. That's yeah. my take on it. It's just, I don't think any difference. There's like, I'm not more different than you are. We're just brought up in uh well, the word different, but you know what I mean? Different environment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, doesn't that have to cause a divide though? No, yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. And you're right about the family thing. The families have to respect each other. And I think the family should learn from each other as well. Frex, Catherine. I'm going to throw it to you, Catherine. Speak <laughs> to the people. Speak to the people. Um, how do you maintain your culture? Um, so again, also single. Um, and I mean, I, I've never dated interculturally because everybody's been from the United States of America um but I have dated interracially just not ethnically so like I've dated black or white men who were still Latino mm -hmm. but they were still experiencing life as black and you know what I mean like yeah. they were a black man but who was Latino so in those situations, I've kind of been fortunate that because they were Latino, they knew how to speak Spanish. So I didn't have to worry about their communication style or maybe even certain things with my mother or my sister. So that changes things for me where I'm like, it's different between dating an Afro-Latino and then dating someone who is Black American or Black from Europe or from Africa, wherever. It's different. So I haven't had that experience Um but I think that because of that, I would consider what you're saying, which is just educating each other. And educating is not even the word. Um, it's how you experience everyday life, right? Like, I'm gonna be real. I don't cook Ecuadorian dishes, but I might want to learn how to do a dish that I know my tia would probably do because if I bring you to my tia's house, then you're probably gonna have that there. So I wanna introduce you to that 
prior. And then when I take you to Matias, and the more you learn about me, the more you're going to be very open to what's about to happen when you're in that room. I'm also about putting people on, right? So I am the way I am. And I'm that way because of the people I come from. So you're, you're, you're interested in me. You like me, but know that it's me times whatever they are. And are you okay with that? I feel that most guys who are interested in me are okay with who they are. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm okay with the, like, I can maintain my culture. I can be who I am because they're already okay with that in me. Mm -hmm. um, I would never date anybody who wouldn't be okay with my culture. That's yeah. how I see it. Like, I'm like, I think that because they wouldn't be, if they weren't okay with my culture, they wouldn't mess with me. Yeah. So um, that, that allows me to maintain it. Somebody who I know from Jump Street is already like, I like that part of you, whatever that part is, whether it's your ethnic, whether it's your food, whether it's your race, I don't know, whatever it is. They already are interested in that. It helps me maintain it because it helps me know that it's accepted. And I have to do that for them too. So even if it means that like, um, if I was dating, for instance, um, a white man, and they, uh, I feel like white Americans love casseroles. Um, I may not have never tried the casserole, right? But I, no, it's a, it's a fact. Casseroles my, my, and chilies, son, okay. casseroles and chilies. I can speak right. inside yeah, inside the information. No, they, they love, they love casseroles and the chili. So I remember like for the first time I ever had a, a casserole that wasn't something introduced in my life was my best friend who was, who's white and I went to her Thanksgiving and they had like seven different casseroles. I was invited to their Thanksgiving. If this would have been a partner, I'm not going to eat something I'm allergic to or something I know I don't like. Like if I don't like a certain thing, I won't eat it. But the other ones I was like, I may be new to me, but I'll try it out. Right. I got to be open to that too. So I maintain my culture by allowing them to maintain their identity, however they look at it and having that mutual exchange. If there's not that mutual exchange, it's not even going to be a good relationship. Yep. These are how facts. I see it. These are facts. To use a cinematic reference, I will use the cinematic genius that was and is the movie Fools Rush In with Selma oh. Hayek and Matthew Perry, where Selma Hayek's family comes and they redo the whole house with very <laughs> Mexican decor. And he comes home to a very Mexican house and walks in and has a heart attack. And I remember watching that movie and going, that's how you do it. That's how you, yes. that's right. You let her do it. She has, she has more flavor. Let her do it. Let her do all that. Uh, but thank you guys. All, all three of us are, seem to be on the same page about that. I hope we've helped you immensely. A person who submitted that to a, uh, understand your relationship or whatever relationship you may be trying to help somebody else out with. You guys know that I love to end the show with a piece of advice that my mom gave me. But before I go into that, Jenna, thank you for hopping on with us. Catherine, amazing as always. Wait, uh, um, if you want to catch Jenna, oh, we have episodes with Jenna in season yes. one. Look for Girl, Jenna or social season. media shout outs. <laughs> Jenna, tell the people where they can find you. Girl, I was trying to rush this. Oh Instagram my goodness. Instagram underscore Jenna, J E N N A underscore again, soul fit, S O U L F I T. <laughs> right, go find her. She's amazing. She's wonderful. You will love her, not just for her hair and makeup skills, but for her amazing <laughs> personality and wonderful work oh. ethic. Catherine, tell the lovely people where they can find you. On Instagram, it is Instagram and TikTok. It is at Catherine G. Mendoza. That's 
K T H E R I. I did it. I was too. I was like, you um, that is at K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-G dot M-E-N-D-O-Z-A. On Twitter, that is at Kathy Grace 24. That is at K-A-T-H-I-E-G-R-A-C-E 24. Yay, yay. You guys know you can find me at G Brion on Instagram. Uh, check out The Floor is Lava on Amazon. I've only mentioned it several times. Uh, go check that out. HBO, check out the uh, Hot Comedy Festival. I was pregnant during that set. So peep the shoes. They are amazing. And I'm crazy for wearing heels and being pregnant. But I did look pretty fabulous. And I love mm-hmm. that outfit. So go check that outfit out. And the comedy, whatever. Uh, HBO on HBO <laughs> uh, Max, the Hot Comedy Festival. Uh, now I will leave you with a piece of advice my mom gives me to this day. When life throws a lot at you, handle it one catastrophe at a time. Until next time, people. Deuces. Bye. 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 Do it like that. Yeah. You're the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Yeah. Looks damn good, but really she tight bad. Mm-hmm. Go to sleep, I call him a nightcap. Born killer, you a born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.